Welcome back, everyone, to Pinpoint History, Episode 15, The Diplomat. Last week, we talked about Philip's activity in his immediate sphere of influence, the relationship with Athens, and the breakdown of relations with the Chalcidian League, leading to the city of Olynthus's eventual defeat and destruction, and the annexation of the rest of the Chalcidian League. Philip celebrated Olympic-style games in the city of Diem, and many across Greece came to partake in the festivities, including a few prominent Athenians. This was not an issue as Philip was feeling very magnanimous, and events like these facilitated truce-like environments. However, the Athenians who did come were not statesmen or soldiers, but rather actors and poets. Hardly any threat. It did not seem like Philip had much to do now, but we know that is not Philip's style. Philip had been actively campaigning militarily since the start of his rule. The sources we have on Philip once again become a little murky. Here is what we can presume we know happened in 347. While Philip was unquestionably the big dog in northern Greece and the Balkans, Thrace still needed to be consistently worked on. Philip had to constantly make his forces known in the area to keep the Thracian kings in line. We know alliances in this time period between Macedonia and Thracian kings and Thracian kings with other Thracian kings were always shifting to reflect the needs of each state in that moment. Things were further exasperated by Athenian influence as they sought to occupy territory in Philip's own backyard. We have a story from the writer Justin, who is the only person to have written this tale, so we can't be sure of its veracity. But I think it gives us a glimpse of how Philip handled matters north of Macedonia. Two Thracian kings, who happened to be brothers, asked Philip to handle a dispute between them. Philip agreed and sent a mediator with a large force of soldiers to help enforce the mediator's decision. If I had to guess who Philip sent, I would assume it was either Philip's right-hand man Parmenian or Philip's left-hand Antipater. We haven't had much of a moment to discuss Parmenian yet and Antipater has not formally made his appearance just yet. He will later this episode. Still, in time, we'll do some formal introductions to these two men, who were important during Philip's reign and Alexander's. Anyways, I digress. The mediator decided that he would dethrone both brothers. In 346, Athenian diplomats had seen a Thracian prince at the court of Pella. As we know, Taking hostages was not an uncommon practice for the Greeks, and Philip had spent time in Thebes as a hostage in his early teens. The Athenians were in alliance with the young prince's father, and so, seeing the prince at Philip's court did not bode well for the Athenian alliance, as Philip had the upper hand on them. The war between Athens and Macedonia continued to trickle along as they avoided a decisive battle on land. The war turned into a proxy war as Athens and Macedonia vied for interests in Thrace by taking land and making key alliances where possible. Between the two states, Athens by far was more interested in fighting the war, whereas Philip never wanted to have conflict with Athens and was certainly not interested in total warfare. War has its price materially and obviously with human cost as well. Athens had poured resources into this war and had seen no true gains against Philip for the last decade. This was further compounded by the lack of allies Athens was able to gather to fight Philip. 
their last ally, the Chalcidian League, no longer existed, and the rest of Greece was not interested in fighting Philip. Athens would eventually need to find allies or make peace. Making peace with Macedonia would allow them to build up a surplus of funds again. In time, Athens would decide on peace. While Athens was coming to this decision, Philip decided it was time to re-enter southern Greece once again. Since Philip's victory against the Phocians in 353 or 352, Philip had turned his attention north and left Greece alone. He would occasionally come to Thessaly to deal with matters now that he was Archon, but that was the extent of his involvement in Greece. Philip now had decided to return his attention south and solve a problem he had left unfinished. The Sacred War Since Philip's victory at the Crocus Field, no major battles like that had been fought since. In fact, the war continued on slowly grinding out, now mainly between Phocis and Boeotia. Phocis now had a new commander named Philikos, and things began looking dire for Phocis. They seized the treasury at Delphi back in 356, but ten years of non-stop war had burned through much of the supply. Focus was running out of money, and now, time. When it comes to political instability, schemes were always being hatched quietly. Now, Philakos was banished from the city on charges of diverting funds for the war into his own pocket. Since it seemed that the war would continue without end, the Thessalians and Boeotians pleaded to Philip for help. We don't know if they had been petitioning Philip for aid since the battle at the Crocus Field, or if this was a recent development, but my suspicions are that they had been asking Philip for a couple of years. Philip only ever acted when it was in his best interest to do so, and what will happen next leads me to believe that idea. In 347, Philip made his decision to move out and in 346, he would do so. News of Philip's movements moved quickly, and once again, Phocus asked Sparta and Athens to block Thermopylae, as they had done once before, and, to sweeten the deal further, Phocus was willing to give up key fortresses to Athens for their aid. Like before, Sparta and Athens had no interest in helping Phocus prosecute the sacred war. But, the two states did not want Philip leading an army close to their lands at all and once again, they went to block the passes. As the forces began to arrive, something odd happened. The Phocian forces began to turn their allies away. Another power struggle had occurred in Phocus, bringing back the exiled leader Philikos. Adrian Goldworthy's book, Philip and Alexander, put it like this. Now that Philikos had returned, he had to counter the plea of aid his predecessors made to consolidate his power once more fully. He could not legitimize their actions, and so he turned Athens and Sparta away. Now, bringing back our attention to Philip, back in 348, Philip had attempted to make peace with Athens, but it did not work. Philip released an Athenian captured at Olynthus to let his home know that Philip once again wished for peace. Athens was anxious when it came to Macedonia. Philip had asked for peace, but he could potentially move his army through the hot gates if the Phocians did not block it. And so, Athens passed a motion to allow ten orators, led by a man named Philocrates, to go to Pella and discuss peace with Philip. 
Among the other nine orators, we have our boy Demosthenes. And while it may seem odd, since only two years ago he was spitting hot fire about going to war with Macedonia, he believed Athens needed peace to recuperate and build up their funds before fighting Philip. We have two speeches by Demosthenes and two rebuttals by another one of the orators who attended, a man named Aeschines. As I promised, I'll do a quick summation of Demosthenes' life. Demosthenes was born in 384, making him roughly two years older than Philip. When he was seven, his father died, leaving him in the care of guardians. Demosthenes' father, also named Demosthenes, was a wealthy man at the time of his death, and left a decent-sized estate for his son. His guardians, however, would blow through the money, leaving him almost nothing by the time he came of age. Our young man was of delicate physique, and so he could not participate in the gymnasium as all the other prominent youths would. Demosthenes would focus his attention on oration, but apparently Demosthenes had a bad stutter, and he would train himself with rocks in his mouth to speak clearly by repeating verses when he was running or out of breath, and apparently this worked in helping get rid of the stutter. When he finally came of age, he took his guardians to court and won, but only received a fraction of his inheritance back. Still, he had made a name for himself and would make a career out of writing speeches for lawsuits and advocating for others in court, essentially like a lawyer. Eventually, he would join politics, which leads us back to our narrative. Athens was ready for peace, but it needed to be on terms they wanted. They still felt like the Athens of old, grand and powerful. And while they sent the ten orators to Macedonia, they also sent out envoys for a war alliance against Macedonia. And once again, there was no interest. It's always hard to stop politicking, even when faced with reality. When the orators arrived in Macedonia, Philip rolled out the red carpet. He treated them with utmost courtesy and respect, and there were lavish feasts. Each of the orators had written a speech, and they were read out in seniority. And though I'm sure it was a very long day, he listened to every single orator. Aeschines spoke as the ninth orator and reminded Philip that Athens had assisted Macedonia when he was a young boy, and pressed Athenian claims to the city of Amphipolis. Demosthenes was the youngest and spoke last. And according to Aeschines, Demosthenes became very nervous. And after botching the beginning of his speech, he went silent for a few moments. Philip apparently was very kind to Demosthenes, telling him to take his time when he was ready to try again. Eventually, Demosthenes started again and spoke for a bit before once again getting nervous and falling silent. After they were done their speeches, the orators were escorted out, and Philip and his council began to discuss what they had heard. On a side note, it must have pissed off Demosthenes a great deal that the great Philip, whom he had advocated war against, was kind to him in a vulnerable moment. But what can you do? Don't hate the player, hate the game, you heard? After Philip and his council were done deliberating, they brought the orators back in, and Philip responded apparently to each orator in turn, except for Demosthenes. Once again, this was stated by Aeschines, who was rivals with Demosthenes. 
Philip concluded with warm statements for Athens and was eager to continue negotiations, wanting to send ambassadors to Athens while he campaigned in Thrace. Philip promised not to harm any of Athens' interests in Thrace while they were in the midst of negotiations. However, Philip did send Parmenian to attack the city of Halos in Thessaly, which was an Athenian ally. But they were in direct conflict with Thessaly, and Philip had his duties as Archon to attend to. Philip also promised to Thessaly that he would return the same year to help end the war with Phocus. Parmenian left the stage at Halos to head to Athens as one of the ambassadors, joined by his countrymen Antipater. Philip wanted peace without a time limit, and while he was willing to accept peace, part of the deal was that Athens and Macedonia would maintain any territory they currently held. This meant Amphipolis, Pydna, Methone, and Potidaea would not be given to the Athenians. We know this was a bitter pill for the Athenians to swallow, as they had harbored dreams of reclaiming their lost territories and becoming the superpower they once had been. Athens eventually settled on the terms, as it was either peace or full-out war. Philocrates, the elder orator who had led the original peace talks in Macedonia, put out a motion for peace, and it passed. This would become known as the Peace of Philocrates, and the Athenian assembly had sworn to uphold it. Now, it was Macedonia's turn to swear, and the ten orators once again set out to speak with Philip to formally conclude the treaty. Philip was in Thrace, and so, the orators made their trip to Pella, and then had to wait for Philip to return. It would take two months for Philip's homecoming. While in Pella, the Athenians realized there were other ambassadors from all over Greece. Spartans, Thebans, Thessalians, and Phocians wanting to speak with Philip. It seemed every day Philip's influence was growing more powerful. The ambassadors waiting on Philip began to become wary of each other, as no one knew the full scope of what the other was there for or had been promised, and no one knew what Philip planned. Once Philip arrived back in Pella in June of 346, having achieved his aims in Thrace, now Philip readied himself to go fight Phocus and began to speak with the ambassadors that had been waiting months for him. First, Philip spoke with the Spartans and Athenians. Philip had promised to return the Athenian soldiers he had captured back at Olynthus without ransom, but he had not yet done so. Demosthenes was the only one who brought this up with Philip and offered to pay for their release. During the wait, some of the Athenians had come to believe that Philip would break with Thebes and restore Athens as the dominant power. Where they got this idea from, we don't know. Philip still had yet to conclude the Athenian treaty formally, and so, the Athenians waited. Thebes raised an army to attack Phocus, partly to prompt Philip into doing so, and to remind Philip they were still powerful. Philip finally gave Thebes the reassurance they were looking for, while ignoring Athens for the moment. Once Philip reached Pharae in Thessaly, he concluded the treaty with the Athenian ambassadors, and they left shortly thereafter. When it came to the sacred war, Philip had been insinuating that punishment would not fall on all of Phocus, but on those he deemed responsible. He had never said it outright, but that was the impression that he and his advisors had given. 
Philip moved towards Thermopylae and stopped shortly before it. Meanwhile, Athens was being informed of Philip's confirmation, and after receiving, sent ambassadors back to Philip. Envoys from Philip arrived first, however, requesting aid from Athens to deal with the Phocians. Athens declined to send a force because Demosthenes had convinced the assembly that this force would be captured and held as ransom. Which goes to show you what kind of peace had really been attained between Macedonia and Athens. Still, Philip moved on and had come to deal with Philikos. He allowed the commander of the Phocian forces to leave the city with his 8,000 mercenaries. Then, Philip marched through Thermopylae and occupied the city of Phocis and summoned the Amphictyonic League to come to the city and agree on a punishment for the city. Apparently some wanted the male population of Phocis executed and the women and children sold into slavery. But Philip most likely had a deal with Philikos, and so... The cities in the area were destroyed, the citizens were not allowed to live in settlements larger than 50 people, and they had to disarm themselves and sell off their horses. And lastly, they would be forced to pay large sums to Delphi every year until they had paid off their debt. This was surprisingly lenient compared to what had been recommended, and Macedonian and Theban garrisons were put into place to make sure the Phocians held up their side of the bargain. Philip had ended the Sacred War, and the Amphictyonic League gave Macedonia status in the League and two votes. This effectively meant that Greece had now acknowledged Macedonia as one of them, rather than a half-barbarian outsider. He was also allowed to oversee the Pythian Games, games which had not been held since the start of the Sacred War over a decade ago. Not only had Philip ended the Sacred War, but he also achieved peace with Athens, largely on his own terms. This was a successful year again for Philip, and he had burnished his reputation once again. It leads me to ask one question, though. Why did Philip make his move in 346 BCE? It is speculated that Philip had already been in contact with Philakos of Phocis, who had come into power and was seeking a way to end the war. When Philikos returned to Phocis after being exiled, he declined Athenian and Spartan reinforcements at Thermopylae. What if Philip and Philikos had planned this? By declining reinforcements, he had inflamed Athenian anxiety of a Macedonian attack. And so, they had decided on making peace with Philip. If that's the case, Philip knocked out two birds with one stone. Not only would he be hailed for ending the sacred war, but he would also be at peace with Athens as well, securing his southern border and allowing him to focus directly on Thrace. We'll leave Philip here once again, riding high from his success. Not only had he been successful, he had done so all diplomatically, not having to fight one battle against the Greeks. Philip's entire career has been based so far on force, and while he prides himself on being diplomatic, his diplomacy was always backed by the threat of violence. And so, this success for him, diplomatically, probably meant more to him than his victories on the battlefield had. Like always, if you like what you heard, 
give the podcast five stars in review. I'll have maps on Instagram so you can see that at pinpoint underscore history. And you can email me at thepinpointhistory at gmail.com with any questions you may have. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening and let's get it.